I forgot something. Thank God for a good wife. I did forget a few things, and Brother Jesse also. Um, we are going to be having a holiday meal this year. I know last year, because of pandemic and other reasons, and because we've moved back here, we didn't get to have it. But we are scheduling it tentatively for the second Sunday in December. And we're going to have a planning meeting tonight at 3 o'clock. And so if you are a lady who can help, Miss Jan is going to decorate. She does a great job on that. But we're going to, what we're going to do, it's going to be different. But I don't know about y'all. I like doing things different sometimes. But we're going to sit at our table while we do the service. We're going to have the table set up. You'll come in. And we can sit and hear preaching and get saved sitting at the table as good as a chair or a pew. And when we get through, we'll have the food and we'll have a time of fellowship. And so ladies and men, whoever can come to help in that at 3 o'clock will be our first kickoff meeting. And so we need all the planning we can get because anytime Baptists do something for the first time, we get mixed up. But all kidding aside. And then also, my dumb move, no one said this, but the Holy Spirit just reminded me. I didn't recognize all the families, and I want to apologize um, if you were here with Allie, the Klein family, in respects to Allie, would you please stand? We want to recognize you this morning and praise the Lord and thank God for her and for y'all. And then also, this is a mouthful. It took me two years to figure out how to say it. I still don't know how to spell it. But if you were here with um, Emerson Caravicious, Aaron's crew, would you please stand? We want to recognize y'all this morning. Thank y'all for being here with us. And so now, if you got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes literally means preacher. It's, um, that's the word. And if you look here, it's written by King Solomon, who the Bible says is the wisest man in the Bible that God blessed with. It's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It's a very good and useful practical book. We're going to read, starting in chapters 3, verses 9 through 13 together. And then we're going to dig in and we're going to look at something that Solomon answers here. How many of you ever thought of this? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Most of us wrestle with these questions at some point in our lives. Well, King Solomon wrestled with the question, but he had the means because he was the king. He had all authority and power to do whatever he want. He also was rich beyond abundance that we'll never know, so he could afford to do whatever he want. And also he was wise. He had much wisdom. And he took it on himself to seek out to find as much satisfaction, fulfillment, and purpose out of life that he could find. And at first he tried to do it without God through the things of this life, and then he came to the conclusion at the end that it's impossible to find purpose to be satisfied in life apart from God. And I don't know about you today, but I see so many people in our lives and in our communities that are so busy gathering and collecting that they haven't taken time to have God in their life. And friends, you can gather, you can collect, you can get all the possessions this world has to offer but Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? At the end, you can't take it with you anyway. And at the end, you're going to meet God. You're going to stand before the Creator. So why not get to know Him now and let Him be a part of your life now 
because one day that will be the most important thing. And Solomon answers some very good questions. And I want you to look at what he says here in verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of man are to be occupied. And he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know nothing, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor for it is the gift of God. Father, today we ask for your blessing over the reading, the preaching, that you'll give us minds to pay attention, hearts that are willing to receive truth, and that at the end grace might provide a time for us to examine, to make decisions that we might leave in your will closer to you than before we came. Thank you for the great, great privilege to be saved to have Jesus in our life as our shepherd to lead us and to provide for us, to protect us, but more than anything, to let his presence be shared with us. And so, Lord, today, bless this time in the name of Jesus, we pray. Ecclesiastes is one of the most practical books in the Old Testament because it deals with what life is all about. And it also shows you, like no other book, how relevant the Bible is for everyday living, even today. It's as relevant today as today that this man, who was the wisest, one of the great kings of Israel, wrote it. The book is a record of his life journey and his pursuit and final conclusion to what is the purpose of life under the sun. Why do we labor? Why do we toil? Why do we get up every day? Why do we go through the motions and responsibilities of life? What's it all for? Solomon searched that out with all of his heart. And I'd like to share with you one of his conclusions that God seemed fit to include in the Bible, the Holy Word of God. You see, the conclusion that he came to at the end is the theme of the whole book. And this is what he says in the second to last verse in chapter 12. He said that, we need to fear God and live your life according to his commandment, for this is man's all. Now, what's he mean when he says that? In other words, what's he saying is a life lived for yourself apart from God is a wasted life in the end. Because the whole purpose of life, God created us for him. We didn't create God for us. God created us for him. God put you here. He created you. And then we messed things up, but he redeemed us through Jesus and the cross and through his plan of salvation and brought us back, reconciles us so that we can be in a relationship with him because that is the ultimate purpose of every one of us, why we breathe, why we exist, to know God, to know our creator, to experience him, not when you die and go to heaven. If you don't know him now, you're not going to get to know him then because he died for you so that you can come to him. And I want you to think about this. 
According to Solomon, you're going to see life lived apart from God is vanity and chasing after the wind. The key word in the book is vanity, vanity of vanities. You'll find that 37 times in the book. The key word vanity expresses the futile attempt to be satisfied and find happiness in life apart from God. Look around at how many people have gathered well and collected abundantly and have everything the world has to offer, but their lives are empty and they're miserable. Look at the rich and famous who have everything we think would make life better, yet their life is not as satisfying as ours. And you say, what is it that makes life worth living? Finding purpose that brings happiness apart from God, according to Solomon and the Bible, is like grasping after the wind. You ever tried to catch the wind? You ever tried to grab a hold of the wind? Well, a life lived apart from God will leave you as empty-handed as grasping after the wind. But believe me, if you don't live your life the way God created us to live, according to his principles and his means and his truths, your life will be much better if you do that. But if you don't, not only will you end up probably, a strong probability in the end of life with empty hands, but you'll line up at the end of life with an empty heart. There's nothing worse than to have everything the world offers, hands full of every possession known to man, but have an empty heart, aching for satisfaction, aching for purpose, looking for meaning, and you're lost, and you're mixed up, and you're not ever satisfied to the point you can say, I'm happy. Friends, listen to this. Power, popularity, prestige, pleasure, possessions. Nothing can fill the God-shaped void that he has put in a heart of man but him. And it's hard for us to figure that out. We try drugs, we try relationships, we try everything we can find apart from God to find enjoyment and to rejoice and to find a purpose for our life. But friends, I'll tell you what, God gave us a life that he is willing to make a great experience to where you have joy and purpose, but you got to do it his way. And friends, if you look right here, look at what he says. He says, what profit has the worker, in verse 9, from that in which he labors? What profit is it to all of our laboring, all of our working? What is the, the, the benefit of it? And so then he says in the next verse, I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but God is not a progressive liberal who believes that the government should give you everything. God created us to work. God ordained a world, my friend, where you don't get everything given to you, but you're to work. He says, by the sweat of your brow. I just showed us this the other day. If you go back to the book of Genesis and you look at it pre-sin, before the fall, it says that he created Adam and he put him in the garden to tend and keep it. Before sin entered in, we were to toil, we were to labor in a place called paradise for God. It was such an experience and such a responsibility for Adam that he created him on a helper called Eve. And he put him in the garden and they were to live 
serving God. Friends, listen. We need to understand again that there's a benefit to God's plan. We were created to work and toil, to spend our lives being productive, producing things, accomplishing results that happen when you follow God's plan. Look at what he says right there. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in our hearts. He says, we, except no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. We don't understand why God's doing it the way he is. I don't know why the world is the way it is. God created it. I didn't. I don't know why he allows some things to go on that I think we shouldn't, but he does. I don't know why he's got everything going the way it is, but he's allowed it for a reason. We know the beginning. We see where we came from. I don't know what you believe, we, how we got here, but I don't think there was a big explosion. And out of the chaos of an explosion, this intricate, well-organized, unbelievable universe was created. If you look around at the solar system, at creation itself, it testifies of a creator, an intelligent being that put all this here. Look at our bodies. The more you learn about this body, the more you realize that whoever made this, it didn't just happen by accident. It didn't just grow from a germ and evolve. It was created. And this creator created us. We don't understand all the work God's doing, but I can tell you what, we can understand enough to know what he wants us to do as part of his work. And I want you to look at what he says right here. He comes to the conclusion after he's tried everything else. I know that nothing is better for them, mankind, than to rejoice and do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat, drink, and enjoy the good of his labor. All his labor. Friends, listen, he said that is the gift of God. Friends, to have a life that you have labored and your labor has produced results where you're able to rejoice in the fruit of your effort and your life has been productive and now your life is a life that you can enjoy. That is a great gift, my friend. To be here and be miserable your whole life, to never be satisfied, to never be ever to find purpose and meaning to me, no matter how much you have, is a miserable life. To know God and to find out his purpose for your life. Look at what he tells us about this. If you go back and you look to the beginning of the book, the first thing he says he says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. Verse 3, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? When you begin to look, you see what he did. In verse 12, he says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. That's Solomon. And look at what he says. I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. He's saying, what is God doing? What is God's work from beginning to end? What is he doing? And he says, this burdensome task that God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. Guys, God's put us here. He has a plan. What is that plan? What is that purpose? We're to be working toward exercising the purpose and plan of God in our life. And I want you to look at this. He said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And indeed, all is vanity and grasping. If you took the time to read it, we're not today because we don't. He looked for everything that the world had to offer. He said, man, he said, I was the king. I had all authority, so I did everything that my heart desired to do. He said, I didn't hold back anything. 
in my attempt to gratify my flesh. He said, I tried pleasure, I tried wine, I tried everything money could buy, and at the end of all of that, he came to the conclusion that it was all vanity of vanities because he said, the biggest problem is it's all going to be given away to another man one day because we're all temporal. And he says, on side of that, if you go to read the book, he answers questions after questions. But what I want us to look at today is how do you, according to this wise man who learned by experience how not to waste your life seeking things that will never, ever give you what you think you need and what you want and desire and to put God where he needs to be and allow God to fulfill the purpose to where your life will be a gift that brings joy, that you can celebrate, that has an abundance of provision. Friends, listen what Solomon says right here with me when you looked at chapter 2. Look at verse 24. He says, nothing is better for a man. Do you see where I'm at? Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. He says, here in earth, he said, nothing is better on earth that you can experience here for a man that you should eat and drink and that your soul, deep within your heart, in your being, who you are, the inner you can enjoy good in your labor. This was all, he, look at what he says. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For you to have a life that is enjoyable, that the things that you possess bring meaning and purpose, it has to come from God. It can't come from yourself. It can't come from this world. It has to come from the one who created you. And so he says, nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy the good of his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. Look at what he says in verse 25. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? He said, I'm the king. I have unlimited resources. I have unmerited power. He could do whatever he wants. He could afford to do whatever. He did everything a man could do to find meaning. And he said in the end, it was all vanity. It was all grasping the wind. It didn't fulfill. And so look at what he says in verse 25. For God gives wisdom. And God gives knowledge. And God gives joy to a man who is good in his sight. Friends, listen. To have a life that is a joy to live, that you wake up every morning thankful to be here, your purpose is, brings fulfillment and you're satisfied in life, that comes from your relationship to God more than what you have in this world. Because everywhere I look, there's people that has everything the world offers but God, and they're killing themselves. They're miserable. They're shooting dope in their arms. They're trying everything they can find to comfort themselves outside of Jesus. And friends, listen to what he goes on and says. He says, he gives the work of gathering and collecting to who? Look what that says, the sinner. A person outside of God is running around like a chicken, scratching, hunting for a bug, doing nothing but collecting and gathering something that at the end he's going to leave because he's going to go to eternity one day. Now, friends, I don't know about y'all, but I'm figuring this out already. 
If I want my life to end well, I need to be prepared not only for a good life here, but I need to be prepared to know where I'm going when I leave here. Amen? And friends, listen, that's what we need to look at for a moment. Because listen what he says after that in verse 1 of chapter 3. To everything there is a season, a time for every person under heaven, purpose under heaven. Solomon came to the conclusion. He said, for everything there is a season in life. For everything. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. And he says there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. Have you noticed that God has set everything up, that there is the seasonal cycle of life? There's cycles in life. God created it where life begins in the spring. If you plant a seed and that seed sprouts, it happens in the spring if it's going to fulfill its God-given purpose. God's timing for the planting, for the, the preparation for the harvest is the spring. And you plant it, and it springs up, and it begins to grow. Do you know life is the same exact way? You got one cycle of life to live on this earth. You got one chance at spring. You got one chance at summer. You got one chance to experience fall. And then you're going to experience winter, my friend, every one of you. And I want to talk to you about that today. When I look out here today, I see some of you, and you are in the early spring stage. Some of us are in the late spring. Some of us is in the summer time of the year. I see a lot of you that's at the harvest time. You've lived to where your life, and you've worked hard, and you've done everything during the summer years to where now you're enjoying the fruit of your labor but I look around and some of us is in the winter years. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, as sure as you've had a spring, you were born, you're going to come to winter when you prepare to die. And I want you to think about this for a minute. The spring season of life. He says to everything there is a season. There's a time to be born. That's the springtime. That's your childhood and your youth. It's a time to grow. During this time is when you're equipped, you're being rooted in the right place, and God is preparing you. It's a time for you to be equipped for life's purpose. That's what's happening to these youth. Some of them are in the back there. We got them at kids' church at their level. We're preparing them. One day they're going to leave kids' church. They're going to come to big church. But friends, listen, life is where you go to school. We got the youth sitting right here this morning. It's good to see a whole row of you youths. Praise God for you. Amen. But I want to tell you something, youths. What you do right now is going to have a lot to do with what you experience for the rest of your life. It's what you do in the springtime of life that makes you productive during the summertime of life. We got a lot of kids today that ain't preparing well, especially spiritually, but not even physically. Friends, it's important that you get educated, that you get equipped, that you get established in the right areas of life so that you can be prepared for the summer. The summer is the longest span of our life. And if you think about it, I hate summer. I love the winter. They say he's crazy. I don't like hot weather. I'm, I'm praying right now to wake up one morning, go outside and see my breath. Brother Kenneth's already got firewood ready for it. But guys, I want you to think about this. Summer is where the most gets done that provides for us that makes life into what it is. 
We got a lot of people that don't realize that the time for summer is a time to produce. <laughs> you see, if spring is a time to grow, a time to be rooted and to be prepared by being equipped, then summer is a time to be engaged with the responsibilities of life. And there are responsibilities that you can't escape. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. If you sow good things in your life, if, you, if you're doing the right things and you're responsible, your sowing's going to produce a good fall. But you know, today we look around and there's a lot of people that just seem to like want to coast. They want to live an idle life. Friends, look, you got one summer to prepare for the coming winter. And if God gave enough sense for an ant to gather for the winter, certainly we ought to have enough sense to know that our life, while we can, while we are able, ought to be used to prepare for the future. And guess what? Also to serve God. Friends, listen, while you're young, you need to serve God. Don't wait till you're old. And while you're in the summer of your life, that's the best time you've got to serve God. Because there's going to come a time where you're going to wish you could serve him and you can't. Because you'll be in the winter time of life. And friends, listen, there is a season for every life. Summer is that adulthood season, a time to produce, a time to be engaged, to be responsible and sowing the things into your life. Why? Because the purpose of life, my friend, is to result in something that God can bless. The purpose of life is for you to be prepared to be to grow and then to produce what he created you to do. God created us to be productive, to prosper, to, 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 to accomplish things in everyday life and also for him. Because guess what? The fall area of your life, that's the best part. How many of you are thankful that there was a time in your life after you grew up and you had people that invested in you and you had a good youth that prepared you that grew you, you were established, and you got into life, you got married, you married well. Guys, listen, the decisions you make in the summer of life, they don't just leave you alone. They mark you for the rest of life. Who you marry is very important if you're a Christian or not. The job you partake of and the things you do to make a living, to provide for life on earth is all important decisions. And friends, listen, when you make the right decisions that are used by the wisdom of God and you take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you and you're responsible, you were raised well, you grew up to be mature, you became a productive adult, and you live your adult lives laboring and toiling for the glory of God and for the benefit of people around you and yourself. At the end of that life, you're going to have something to show for it. But if you're lazy and you don't, Apply yourself and you just toss back and forth like the wind. You're going to be very disappointed when the harvest comes. Because the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall reap. If he shows to the flesh and he sows to the things of the world and to the things of carnality, he's going to reap those things. But if he sows to the spirit and he sows to the things of God, he's going to reap those things that produce everlasting life. Now, guys, I want you to think about this. The fall time of the year is probably the most enjoyable time of your cycle in life because it's the fall is when it's a time to rejoice. See, we're going to have Thanksgiving in a few weeks. Thanksgiving is a time of rejoicing 
in the provision of God because he blessed you for another year where you could work and where you could do the things you needed to do to have what you need in life. But guys, listen, you can't just sit on the couch watching TV and God bless you with everything. That's the lie of some other God, the God of government, the God of we'll take care of you. God expects us to get up and be responsible. And friends, listen what happens at the end of your life. The, 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 the season, the time has a purpose. And friends, that the season, that's when you're at the beginning of old age and you're coming to the end of adulthood. You've worked hard and now you get to enjoy life. There's a reward. It's called a harvest. You get to reap what you've been sowing. Have you noticed those people that the young people look at and they say, well, we get married and we want everything mom and daddy took 30 years to get tomorrow. Friends, it wasn't meant by God for you to have everything that your parents worked for and honored him for and lived for and followed him for. And friends, I'm here to tell you, I've watched it. I've observed it. The people who honor God, God honors them. The people who dishonored God are miserable dysfunctional people very seldom do you find a person who has left God out of their life that you would want to be but friends listen God is the big difference in making life to be able to experience the full purpose of what we're here for man when you've lived life serving God and you've lived life doing what you're supposed to do when the harvest comes, man, it's a time of rejoicing. If the springtime is a time to grow and summer is a time to produce, fall is a time to rejoice because it's a time of the harvest. You get to enjoy what life has provided. And friends, I don't know about this, but if you look around, in America, we're very blessed. If you'll apply yourself, if you'll be a responsible citizen and you'll do what God gave you the ability to do, be a productive person in his plan of life, Guess what? At the end, God's going to give you something for that. Look around. The people who do nothing end up most of the time having nothing. You know, there is chance. Maybe I'll win the lottery. Have you ever noticed that most people win the lottery, lose it in less than five years? Go do the statistics. Easy come, easy go. But the things you earn in life that you get by being a responsible, productive person in the times, in the seasons of life, you were a good youth, you were well established, you were rooted in God, and you did the things you're supposed to do, then you were a productive, responsible adult. Yes, you're going to have a fruitful harvest. And guess what? The harvest, the labor, the fruit of your labors is what helps you make it through the winter. Have you noticed what the squirrels are doing right now? The acorns are starting to fall. I don't like tree rats. They got in my shop, and they was tearing all the insulation out, and they built a big old nest, and they were all up in it, scurrying around, and insulation was falling on my head, and I climbed up on the roof, and they tore a hole in the side of my building, and they had climbed in there, and I was looking at them, and I'd been feeding them corn. But they didn't bless me back. They moved in. They took over. Man, I got up on the roof. I stuck my blower in there, and I was blowing my blower, and I heard them running all around. And I said, man, them darn tree rats is in my shop. And man, I went back down and I had done blowed the side out and I had acorns and pine leaves and everything all in my shop. Me and them squirrels went to war. 
I was going to be humane. I was going to relocate them. I went and got three traps from John Merle. I set them out next to my corn piles. Two weeks went by. I ain't caught one yet. I moved it next to, I quit putting the corn out and put it on a wood pile. I finally caught one. I said, man, three weeks I've caught one, but they'd be 15 of them. I'm not making this up. What were they doing? They were gathering all them acorns that was right there and getting that corn. So I went to war. I killed 78 of them, and I had permission from God because they were varmints. They were destroying my property. So during the pandemic, I had some good redneck entertainment. I'd drink my coffee in the morning. I started putting it on a stump out in the backyard, and I'd pop me a squirrel. Pow. Aaron got him a dog, and the dog started picking them squirrels up. And he said, man, I didn't know a black German shepherd was a squirrel dog. Man, he keeps bringing all these squirrels home. He thought that dog was catching them. <laughs> but you know what? 78 of them. I said, man, I'm rid of them. They're back right now. Have you noticed, Aaron? They're more than ever. You know what they're doing? They're gathering. If a squirrel knows to gather, if the squirrel knows to build a nest and to fill it full of provision for the winter, certainly we ought to. Because guess what? Winter's coming, and you're not going to be able to work and be productive anymore. What you're going to need in life to experience the quality of life that you're used to is not going to depend on what you can do anymore. It's going to depend on what you've already done. There's a whole lot of people who have kids who are in their 40s who have yet to become self-independent, who have yet to learn that they're responsible for themselves. Mom and daddy wasn't put here to take care of you for the rest of their lives. You were supposed to grow up in the springtime of your life, grow up well, be established. You were supposed to enter into adulthood in the summer of life and be self-sufficient and be productive so you could build a harvest for your life. That's how God created it. That's how God made it. And friends, listen, when you do that, you, you have a life that is enjoyable. That's what Solomon's saying. But you need God in the picture. He's what makes it all worth doing. Listen what he finally says when he says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Unfortunately, there is a winter. If the springtime in our life is when we're children and youth, is a time to grow. If summer, when we're adults and we're healthy at our strongest point in life, is a time to produce. And if fall is a time to rejoice in the result of our production, then winter, old age, unto death, is a time to endure. If you don't believe me it's a time to endure, come follow this preacher around. Come visit some of us. Life doesn't get easier toward the end. Life gets harder and more difficult. You say, why is that? Because of sin. Because this place is cursed. And friends, listen to this. The Bible tells us, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. But Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And guys, when we are in the winter time of life, whether you believed in God or didn't, in your youth, whether you applied God to your life or didn't to help you during your adulthood to provide for your harvest in the fall of life, there will come a time when God will be on your mind. Because what the winter time is, if the summertime, if the fall is a time of reward and harvest, 
And the summertime is a time of being responsible in sowing and production. And spring is a time of being rooted in preparation time to grow. Let me tell you what wintertime. Wintertime is a time of realizing. A time of recognition that life has an end. Every winter comes and those plants die and then the next year you plant another one and you have another cycle. But guys, listen, in this scheme of life, because sin entered in, we were created for eternity. And because of that, eternity is in our heart. We're all going to be once appointed to death. We're going to die. You're going to get old. They said, man, I don't like this sermon. Well, there is a remedy. <laughs> there is a fix. But we live our whole life avoiding the greatest blessing of all. You see, you can look throughout the Bible and see what happens to not only people, not only families, but to entire nations that lived apart from God. Israel, God's chosen Old Testament people, the Jews, are a perfect example of that. They would get blessed. God would pour out his abundance into their life. They would be living the life that is enjoyable with purpose and meaning, and then they'd get away from God. And then all of a sudden, their blessings would disappear and troubles would come. And in Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah wrote something that I, I want you to, 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 to listen. He was looking at his people and he said, Surely the Lord has consumed us. No grapes are on the vine. No figs are any longer on the fig tree, and the leaf has faded. And the things that I have given them, the Lord has given us, has passed away. You ever looked at America lately? <laughs> America had a spring. America's had a good long summer. And America had an abundant fall. Nobody's ever prospered with a blessing like we've had. But here lately, what are you hearing about America? You see, America's no better and no different than Israel or any other nation that leaves God out. There's never been a nation that had more abundance and had more blessings. But listen, this is what Jeremiah says about Israel. He says, we looked for peace, but no good came. We looked for a time of health, and there was only trouble. That's what he's saying about Israel. And then he says this about Israel. He says, we have provoked the Lord to anger with our carved images and our foreign idols. We may not have foreign little Buddhas, but we all have foreign gods. Whatever in your life has taken you and separated you and got you apart from God, whatever's got you so busy in your pursuit of finding something to rejoice in besides God, that's your idol. That's your carved image. It can be a hobby. It can be a relationship. It can be an addiction. It can be whatever you're finding, trying to find purpose, meaning, and fulfillment out of life outside of God. That's what Israel began to do. And he begins to look at them. He's a preacher. He's assigned by God to warn them. And he says, I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint within me. Listen, the voice, the cry of my daughter, the people of God from afar off. And he says, the harvest is past and the summer is ended. 
And they are not saved. Friends, listen to this. When the harvest is past and the summer is ended, it's winter. And if you have lived a life and the summer is ended and the harvest has come and gone and you're in the winter of life, that's a bad place to be in for a nation, for a family, for an individual. Friends, listen. There was a teaching from Jesus. And he says, the wise man is the man who hears my words and does them. For I will liken him who builds a house, the one who hears my words and does them, obeys them, on a rock. And when troubles come and winds blow and tribulation of life shows up, he said, because it's built on obedience to me and upon what I say is true, the wise man who heard my words and done them, his house, his life will stand. But the foolish man who hears my words, who has a Bible, who goes to church, hears everything God has told you and warned you and promised you and does it not, he said, is the foolish man who builds his house on the sand and when the troubles of life show up, his house, his life will crumble and great will be its fall. I'm not here to hurt you and mess your Sunday up. I'm here to prepare you, to awaken you to the truth that this life is a gift and it comes from God. And it's not something to take lightly. It is a blessing. And friends, listen to what he says right here. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonish has taken hold of me. Guys, if you watch the news, if you're a Christian, if you have a heart for God to send revival and see a spiritual awakening, if you even know what God has done for America and used to do, and see where we are now. We should be like him. And so he cries out, and every one of you has heard this. This verse has been preached so many times. He said, is there no balm in Gilead? He says, is there no medicine for Bethany? Is there no physician here? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? He's seen Israel go through the stages of spring, the stages of summer, the season of fall, and they were in the season of winter. And he said, is there no bomb in Gilead? Well, I got good news today. There is a bomb. There is an ointment that can heal your wounds. His name is Jesus. And he who can come to Jesus where you are and how you are, and he can make a difference. He won't change all of the consequences of decisions made in the past, but he will be with you from here on out as a means to help you and help you along the way. Friends, listen to what Solomon says at the end of his book. If you're still there with me, when he gets to chapter 12, it's not God's intent for us to wait till we're old and we're in the throes of winter and we're doing without and we are not prepared. It's his plan for us to serve God today. Today is your plan of salvation. Listen to what Solomon says as we begin to close. When you get to chapter 11, he's realized the error of his way, trying to find purpose and joy out of life without God. He's repented. He's an old man now. And he says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Look at verse 9. 
Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity, friend. They're going to pass away. You're going to get old, Sam. One day you're going to be an old fat preacher up here. Look at what he says. Remember, look at verse 12, verse 1. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Have you seen that people get to a place in life where getting out of bed is a toil? <laughs> where getting up and just going through life, I'm here to tell you the truth. What makes it enjoyable? What makes it endurable? You're rightly connected to God. A life at the end in the time of winter without God is a difficult life. Listen to what he goes on and says. He says, while the sun and the, he says, I have no pleasure in them. He says it again in verse 6. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the wheel. What he's saying is, remember your creator now before the end. Once the gold is broken, bowl is broken, it's broken. Once the pitcher is shattered, it's shattered. You can't put it back together. Once the wheel at the well is broken, he says, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. And he says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now I want to ask you a question, and we're going to close. What sense does it make to live this life working, toiling, gathering, and collecting for a harvest? And then at the end of it all, that's it. Do you believe that? Because the Bible says we were created with eternity in our heart. I think most people in here, and I think every person in here, the closer you get in the winter season, the longer you endure the winter season, the more you think about eternity. See, that's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. It's not all about here. As a matter of fact, if we live to be 70 or 80 years, what is that but a vapor compared to eternity? And so what does he say? He says this is the conclusion, the end of it all. When he closes the book, he says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including everything, whether good or evil. That was his Old Testament understanding. But guys, this is the good news today. There's not a work you've ever done or work you lack to do that Jesus won't forgive you of today, that he won't forgive you for. I'm not here to tell you that Jesus can fix a wasted life that you didn't live and apply yourself and do things you should have done. But I will tell you this, he loves to forgive fools. <laughs> He'll take the most foolish person in this room that wasted his life to the most fullest, who has seeked everything down here that he could find but God. And today, if you'll repent and turn to God, he'll receive you completely just like you've never done anything. I don't know about y'all, that's an unbelievable God. And today, Jesus wants you to realize that he loves you so much that even though we've messed things up, even though we have sinned, he died for us in our place so that we could be saved and forgiven. Friends, I don't know about y'all, 
But the closer you get to winter, the less you got that you can do for God. Because listen, not only do you get a reward here, you get a reward there. We've been looking about that. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to stand before Jesus? And he's going to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Friends, today can be the first day of a new life with God. I'm just going to tell you this, and we're going to close. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be saved and forgiven and experience the life God created us to have. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 10, chapter 10. He said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil. But I have come to give them life and to give it to them abundantly. How does he give you that life? He rightly connects you to God. He brings you into a relationship where you're reconciled and you're restored and you have a right standing with God. You know how he does that? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and the only way to the Father is to come through me. And at that moment when you do that, your past is forgotten. It's forgiven. And now you can look to your future. I don't know about you, but there comes a time in life where you can't keep looking at what you've had. You've got to look at where you're going. Can I get an amen? And friends, today, that could be your day. Today is your day of salvation. Today is your opportunity to repent and turn to God. He loves you. He has a better plan for you. And I'm going to just give an invitation right now not to come to God, but if you know you're not prepared for eternity, you know you haven't lived your life, God will give you a second chance right now at this moment. Where's brother? Okay. They must want to hear me preach longer or something. But anyway, we're going to pray. We're going to stand together. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, life is so much more enjoyable when God is the center of it than when he is not. Father in heaven, I thank you today for a man named Solomon who when we take the time to look at his book, we can see that a life lived in this world apart from God leaves us in the end, empty-handed, empty-hearted, searching for meaning and purpose. But a life lived for him leaves us with an anticipation, an expectation of a glorious eternity spent with you Help us to prepare for that eternity today by being saved if we're not saved, by realizing that this life is important, how we live our youth, how we live our summer, how we live depends on what kind of harvest we'll have at the end. And Lord, I pray today for people to make wise decisions that they'll receive your help. Lord, do your work in us today as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. By sin oppressed, there's mercy.